Our passage today comes from Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. Listen for what God is saying to you. One night, the Lord said to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you, for there are many in this city who are my people. He stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and just reflect on what it is that you might be wanting to say to us today through your word. And so we ask that your spirit would move freely throughout and among us, um, that it would clear away the clutter in our hearts and that she would help us to incline our spirits to where it is that you may be leading us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? This is the question that kept coming to mind as I meditated on our passage for today. God comes to the Apostle Paul, the OG Christian missionary, in the midst of one of his earliest experiences of prolonged opposition, weeks of arguing, debating, cajoling, and exhorting the Jewish community in Corinth. It'd be mentally and spiritually exhausting in any circumstances, but it's not just that. He feels particularly personal, and he is deeply invested, which is what makes it especially painful. After all, these are his people. He knows their entrenched ideas. After all, he was first among them. They're probably even using his past arguments against him. He loves them, and for as much as he loves as he feels, his frustration keeps measure. Picture your QAnon devotee relative who you love so dearly that, and yet want to throttle them with your bare hands at every family gathering conversation. Now, just before this passage, Paul has thrown up his hands. You are responsible for your own fates. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. In other words, y'all are on your own now. I'm done with you. He heads next door to the home of a believing Gentile. The passage goes on to say that even though he had been rejected by the Jewish community at the synagogue, the actual synagogue leader, a guy named Crispus, and his entire household became followers of Jesus. And many more throughout the city became, came to believe. But even though Paul is finding some success, he is still feeling really weighed down by it all. He's worn out, run down, and demoralized. And we know this because it's at this moment when God shows up to Paul in a vision and tells him, don't be afraid. Continue speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you, and no one will harm you, for I have many people in this city. The message says it all. Don't be afraid means Paul is scared. No one will harm you means Paul is getting real threats. Don't be silent means your words are making a difference. Continue speaking means there are still more lives to be transformed. Now, Paul knows what folks can do. He knows the threats aren't just words because he has seen them carried out. He knows what happened to Jesus, and he was the one who presided over Stephen's brutal stoning. So he has good reason to be afraid. But he has an even better reason to keep going. Because he also knows what it's like to be completely healed, redeemed, made whole, and set free by the love and grace of Jesus. The vision is what he needs, not only to remind him of why he's doing what he's doing, but also to keep him assured that God's protection and accompaniment are present. Now, we're in the final week of our Black History Month sermon series, talking about dreams and the dreaming dreamers who dream them. And so it would be neglectful of us to overlook the man whose dream gave illustration and language to the hearts and minds of so many during the civil rights movement. But before, long before he had a dream, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was living out a nightmare. 
He was only 27 years old, and it was just two years into his role at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, not to mention a month into the Montgomery boy, bus boycott. His wife and first child, just 10 weeks old, were sleeping in the bedroom when a call came. We're tired of you, mess. And if you are not at this town in three days, we're going to blow your, your, up your house and blow your brains out. It was one of countless death threats that were being delivered through the mail, by the phone, as many as 30 to 40 calls a day, often at night, to his home. Now, this is before we had caller ID or call silencing, or even a answering machine for that matter. <laughs> the great historic stone chiveled Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. went to the kitchen, made himself a cup of coffee, sat down at the kitchen table, and buried his face in his hands. He prayed, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right, but I must confess, I'm losing my courage. He wanted to help. He understood the situation. He wanted a better world, if not for him and his neighbors, at least for his children. But it was too much, and with a newborn to take care of it all, it just felt overwhelming. He understood how serious the threats were, and he knew how brutal the South could be. And it was in that moment, at that kitchen table, he says, I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for truth. Stand up for justice. Stand up for righteousness. Now, It'd be tempting to say that after this moment, Dr. King was filled with such courage and confidence that he never had a doubt again. But I find that difficult to believe when just a week or two later at 9 p.m., a bomb exploded on the front steps of his home. Now, no one inside was hurt, but the threats didn't stop coming. And all these years later, traces of the bomb, gashes in the concrete, are still visible on that front porch. It was a reminder to Dr. King that his fears were justified and the danger was real. But it was also a reminder that God will show up. And keep showing up to strengthen us and protect us, even if there are forces that will never stop trying to shut us down. Even so, he kept his ear tuned to God's voice. Don't be afraid. I will protect you. Don't be silent. Keep going. There is more to come. I got you. For 18 more months, Paul keeps going, preaching and teaching throughout the city of Corinth. He's planted these communities of transformation, a motley bunch of folks made up of Jews and Gentiles, slaves and aristocrats, artists and benefactors, people who should have nothing to do with one another, people who were set up to fear each other, despise each other, exploit each other, and exercise power over one another. These are the kinds of relationships of which all of society's laws, rules, codes, and mores have been designed to discourage, and yet somehow synagogue leaders and social elites lowly nobodies and wannabe somebodies, they had caught a glimpse of God's vision of wholeness of life for all through Paul's evangelizing. It's a community that he loves fiercely, born from the ashes of his anger, frustration, and deep, deep longing. And so the effort was, in many ways, a phenomenal success. Yet with all that could be celebrated, he ends up in front of the Roman governor Gallio after a coordinated effort to undermine and end him. When Gallio throws the case out, because why would he, a symbol of Rome's power and authority, care about the grievances of a bunch of nothing religious minorities against an even nothinger religious minority? In their frustration and anger, the organizers brutally beat another synagogue leader, and here we see what God, what Paul is up against. The displaced pain fear, and scarcity of a people willing to cannibalize their own if it means feeling a little more secure. Paul will always stand in the double bind of Rome and his kin. And still, through the storm, he hears God's voice, don't be afraid. I will protect you. Don't be silent. 
Keep going. There's still more to come. I got you. Some of you know that when I first started at Urban Village Church, I came on to plan our Hyde Park Woodlawn site. I had a strong sense of call to help create a space and community where people could bring their whole self, their questions about life, their doubts about God, their desire to connect with others in a real way, all of this in a space that centered the spiritual needs and experiences of queer people of color. It was, in many ways, the vision of a church that I had always longed to have exist. I left a stable job with solid benefits to follow that call. I also had a partner at that time, Benjamin. For about nine months, we worked together to lay the groundwork and make the connections to help seed this new faith community on the South Side. I was hopeful, I was nervous, and I was excited to see what God was about to do. I was also frustrated because there were a number of issues that had come up as, that had revealed that work had to be done at UBC. But my sense of call was as strong as ever. My sense of commitment ran deep. Not so much for Benjamin, who had a different path calling to him. Unfortunately, he didn't come to this realization until about three weeks before we were set to launch Sunday services when he resigned. I felt abandoned. I felt angry. Why had God led me this far only to set me up like this? I spent an entire day doing the ugly cry, and after railing and wailing, praying and pounding the table, I sat. I sat in an exhausted silence and just sat and listened and wondered what was next. And it was in that silence and sitting when I heard an inner voice well up in my spirit. Stay. Not, you got this, you're awesome, I'm going to do so much through you. Just stay. And so I did. Now, so much has happened since that day, more than I could have ever imagined. It got worse. <laughs> it got better. And through it all, God was there, not just for me, but for the work. I've seen so many lives change at Hyde Park Woodlawn and throughout Urban Village Church. I've seen this church change and grow and transform because of what that community brought. We are who we are because of God's assurance, because of God's protection, and yes, because of our faithfulness, to persevere and push through and keep putting one foot in front of the other. We don't always have access to the destination point, but we are always capable of staying on the path. And when the Apostle Paul became an evangelist, he left a position of privilege and power. He'd been politically powerful and religiously respected within the Jewish community in Jerusalem. When Dr. King agreed to organize the boycott in Montgomery, he did so not because he was riding the bus to work every day. He had his own car. He had a PhD from Boston University and a well-paid pastorate at a prominent church. But both Paul and Dr. King stepped out with courage and faith, compelled by God's dream of wholeness of life for all. Now, I took a 50% pay cut and left my health benefits behind. And I say this not to impress you or make you think how great I am, but to say that following God's call is not only risky, but also involves skin in the game. Whether it was 2070 or 10 years ago, each of us is called to risk something to be part of God's work. And make no mistake, each of us is called to be part of God's work. It may look like cultivating faith communities here at UVC like Paul did, or working for the full dignity and self-determination of our neighbors like Dr. King. It might look like something else altogether, but one thing is sure, you are called. You are called. You are called to be part of God's dream. How are you called? What will you risk for that call? 
How will you speak up, stand up, show up for God's purposes? God has a dream, a dream of beloved community, complete restoration of all creation, and wholeness of life for all. This has been spoken by prophets and priests, artists and poets throughout the ages, and it must also be spoken through your life. Being part of God's dream will require you to step, somehow step out in courage and faith to make it more of a reality. Now, you might not be facing organized attempts to throw you in jail or death threats from anonymous callers, but if you are effective for God's purposes, you will find yourself up against forces that will do whatever it takes to cut your legs out from underneath you. And they don't fight clean, they fight dirty. And when you find yourself ready to give up, head buried in your hands and tears overflowing, be encouraged by your ancestors in the faith. Ancestors like Dr. King, like Paul, and so many others. For they too despaired. They despaired. And yet even in the midst of their despair, they still stepped out in faith. This is your legacy. And as followers of Jesus, this is your mandate. Now, God does not promise that the path of faithful living will be easy, but God does promise that we will not be forgotten nor forsaken. No matter our circumstances, God will be right there alongside us to protect us, encourage us, and also, yes, to dream with us. So take courage and have faith. Trust. Remember God's words to Paul from so long ago because they are for you too today. Don't be afraid. No one will harm you. Don't be silent. Continue speaking. There is more to come. And I got you. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you indeed that you've got us. Even when we feel like the world is out of control, when we feel like we are completely overwhelmed and under-resourced and wholly alone, we thank you that even if we feel those ways, those are not our realities. Remind us of that, especially in those moments when we need it. And help us to be that for one another, to be a reminder that we are not alone, that we are in this together. And even more than that, you are with us through it all. So wherever we find ourselves on this day, help us to be encouraged. Help us to be an encourager. And help us to never give up being a part of your work in this world. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.